showing showing red, and Bitcoin and Ether are also trending down. Tomorrow on uh, Money Talk, we got our view from America, but we're also going to have Alicia Garcia Herrero from NetTixis, an old friend, and uh, Hao Hong from Grow Investment Group joining Barry Wood, our RTHK correspondent from Washington. Coming up next after the news, we got Danny Giddings and Ada Wong on Back Chat. As always, I'd like to thank my producer, Christy Lai, and our sound man today, Tsang Wing Ming, who is on the soundboard. I'm looking at the weather today. Oh, it looks good. Dry with sunny periods, max temperature around 19 degrees, which I quite like. Currently, it is 15 degrees Celsius. It's 66% humidity. And this has been Money Talk. The time is now 8.30. And now the news with Tom Hardy. A patient's advocate has welcomed government plans to shift the focus of health care from treatment to prevention and promote the concept of a family doctor. The plan also includes a so-called co-care scheme to subsidize patients with hypertension or diabetes to get treated in the private sector. Tim Pang from the Society for Community Organization questioned why the government targeted specific illnesses rather than overall health. In order to have an overall enhancement of health, the government should also focus on other areas instead of the co-care scheme for disease prevention. And also for this co-care scheme, I think if they ask the grassroots to pay at least half of the treatment fees, it will be too much for the grassroots. So for the financial difficulty people, government have to increase the level of subsidy. The government has proposed setting up a special office to regulate crowdfunding. Most campaigns would have to apply to it for permission to raise funds. The public has been given three months to respond to the proposals, as Natalie Ching reports. The government says some of the more popular online crowdfunding activities pose risks to public interest and safety, and regulation can prevent people from engaging in fraudulent activities or jeopardizing national security. To achieve this, it's proposed setting up a crowdfunding affairs office to vet applications. Factors such as the would-be crowdfunders' honesty, reputation and reliability would be considered, along with the risks brought about by the activity to public interest and safety. But the new regulations won't apply to commercial fundraising activities in the market or activities widely recognized by society, as well as sudden charitable projects. The MTR Corporation has announced it will provide overnight train services on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, except on the Airport Express and Disneyland Resort lines. Services on the Island Line, Chunwan Line, Kuntong Line and East Rail Line will be stepped up from 8pm on both dates. Overnight festive services were suspended for the last two years due to the pandemic. The corporation added that it will run more trains starting in the afternoon on Thursday, the winter solstice, one of the most celebrated Chinese festivals. President Putin has held talks with his ally, the Belarusian leader Alexander Lukashenko, on his first visit to Minsk in more than three years. It comes amid concerns that Russia may be planning to attack Kiev from Belarus, as it did ten months ago. The Russian leader said he was only focusing on bilateral ties. I would like to say that back in 2021, we made real headway in developing our trade and economic ties, our trade turnover, and I would like to emphasize again that this was before the special military operation. Back in 2021, our trade increased by one-third. In Moscow, Mr. Putin's spokesman dismissed reports that he intended to pressure Mr. Lukashenko into joining the war against Ukraine. Ukraine's top general, Valery Zeluzhny, said last week Russia was 
preparing 200,000 fresh troops for a major offensive that could come from the east, south, or even from Belarus as early as January, but more likely in the spring. A poll by almost 18 million Twitter users has shown that a majority want the platform's owner, Elon Musk, to quit as its CEO. 57% voted in favour. Here's the BBC's Zoe Kleinman. Elon Musk's silence is uncharacteristic. He's usually a prolific presence on the platform he now owns. It probably won't be long before he has something to say. What we do know is that he's previously abided by the results of polls. He even put to the vote whether he should buy Twitter in the first place earlier this year. Eventually, he did buy the network for £38 billion and made himself the boss. Mr Musk's leadership so far has proved controversial, with huge changes to both staff and policies, as well as some unexpected decisions about moderation and banned accounts. But while he's been busy tweeting, shares in his other firm, Tesla, have nosedived in value, and investors in that company fear it's because he's distracted. European Union energy ministers have ended weeks of negotiations by agreeing on a price cap for natural gas across the bloc. It's to be set at 180 euros per megawatt hour. Kadri Simpson is the bloc's energy commissioner. Today's agreement clearly signals that Europe is not prepared to pay any price for gas and that it is able to act united to ensure its energy security. And we will continue our work to reduce our dependence on Russian gas and to speed up the deployment of renewable energy. Germany eventually backed the arrangement despite concerns about its impact on Europe's ability to secure gas supplies in price-competitive global markets. That's the news from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Danny. In our main topic this morning, we're going to be talking about the primary health care blueprint the government yesterday announced in a major change to the public health care system, placing more emphasis on the early prevention of illness. Health Secretary Lo Chung Mao said the number of people with chronic illnesses is expected to grow to 3 million by 2039, placing a major burden on the health care system. The government plans to set up a primary health care commission that will oversee a network of district health centres, hoping residents in need of early stage medical care will turn to these facilities first instead of public hospitals. Other plans include promoting the concept of family doctors and the increase in the current health care voucher scheme. So how effective will the measures be? Does the blueprint address the needs of Hong Kong's rapidly ageing population? And what exactly do patients need? And later in the programme, we're going to be speaking to two of the newly elected lawmakers. So you can let us know what you think. You leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, or email us at backchat at rthk.hk. You can give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. Joining us for the main segment of the show this morning, we have Dr David Lamb, who's the lawmaker for the medical and health services sector. Uh, we also have Alex Lam, who's the chair of the Hong Kong Patients' Voice, Voices, and Dr. William Wong. Dr. William Wong, uh, clinical associate professor and chief of research at the Department of Family Medicine and Primary Care at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning. Uh, uh, Dr. David Lam, let's go to you first. Good morning. Uh, what is your, maybe if you just uh, say a little bit about the, the concept behind the government's proposals yesterday and your own reaction to it. Well, I think the Secretary for Health has mentioned yesterday about the uh, 
um, the challenges our healthcare system is facing is basically an aging population and an explosive increase in the number of chronic non-communicable diseases. And he also mentioned that people tend to go to the public doctor, I mean the public specialist, to see their chronic illnesses instead of the family doctors, and these have to be changed. So in order to tackle our major challenges in healthcare, we have to develop a primary healthcare system uh, whereby people can see their family doctor. It was quite like in the UK where everyone has their own GP. So you see your own family doctors for uh, illnesses, especially stable diseases and minor conditions. Uh, unless the doctor considers someone has a unstable condition or severe illnesses otherwise, the patient will remain with him. So that's the basic concept of keeping patients in the community and obtaining all the services available in the community. This is really a consensus of the medical health care professions over the past several years that we have to develop a primary health care system. Um, the problem with Hong Kong's health care system is that we do have a very good uh, hospital care, uh, subsidized hospital system, and our health care parameters are, not, uh, are quite good. We have the longest uh, longevity in the world, but then we do not have a primary health care system. We have primary health care providers, basically private doctors uh, working in the community, but we do not have a system. Uh, so these doctors are mostly currently working as lone practitioners without support. So if the doctor wishes to refer a patient to, say, a nurse or a physiotherapist or a psychologist, he may have difficulty referring. And even when these resources are available in a community, uh, it, it comes at a cost. And if we're talking about rehabilitation over months or repeated courses of, say, psychotherapy, then the cost could be too high, too unavoidable for the grassroots population. That's why we mm. need a system in a community that is subsidized. Yes, uh, Dr. Lam, I, I believe that we, we all welcome, you know, enhancement of primary health care system. And, and when we talk about this system, I have read that um, we usually talk about social and medical collaboration because there are just so many doctors in one community and you do need um, the whole society to support that. For example, if you want people to have a, a healthy lifestyle, they have to understand what sort of food they eat. They need to have regular exercise. And I get, of course, family doctors can, uh, can tell them, but we do need some other support as well. And I find that the blueprint is um, quite a sort of um, medically-led uh, uh, without addressing the need to, um, uh, for this collaboration. W would, you, would you agree to that? Well, social workers are part of the manpower resources in the primary health care system or the entire health care system. But it's not a major part like, uh, well, social workers mainly deal with social services. All right. And health care services are mainly provided by health care providers. But then social workers do have a role and finding the uh, target uh, population and also uh, assisting them to obtain financial assistance, etc. But they do not directly provide health care to the people. So it is part of the whole picture. This is not the entirety. Therefore, I think we still have to rely on health care providers, especially doctors, nurses and other health care uh, professionals to, to lead the system. 
Okay, well, let's bring in a, uh, an expert on uh, primary health care, Dr. William Wong. As I mentioned, Dr. William Wong is a clinical associate professor and chief of research at the Department of Family Medicine and Primary Care at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning, uh, Dr. Wong. Y- your reaction to uh, the government's proposals yesterday? Oh, good morning uh, to you. Uh, I think the government is moving along and thinking the right direction. As Dr. Lam explains, the, uh, sort of the underlying reasons for, for these changes uh, I very much agree that this is uh, moving the right direction. Uh, however, I think the uh, problem with Hong Kong's primary care is the fragmented uh, primary care. We have elderly uh, health care looking after the elderly, family planning association looking after the contraceptive and adolescent health, students' health, uh, and now district health centre for focusing on screening. So there would be a lot of duplication of services and administration costs. So I think the key thing is how do we empower the primary uh, family doctors in the community to deliver the care? So one of the sort of pilot uh, proposed in, in the uh, blueprint would be the uh, chronic disease co-care scheme. Uh, I don't know the details how it will work exactly, but apart from the uh, monetary incentives, there should be a lot more on the training, on the support, uh, and also as well as the um, services would be available to them. I mean, one of the things that uh, the, we, the family doctors complained a lot is uh, the currently, the if there is uh, someone who suspected of diabetes or hypertension, they would be sent to the district center to do the screening and come back. I mean, that system is very cumbersome and because of the time cost and the actual cost for doing the tests very little, it's not working very well. But the district center could have have provided more like chronic disease uh, risk assessment and many other services to the family doctors to provide their support. Uh, another thing I think that uh, to make sense to me would be, you know, how do we bring all these things together under the primary health commissions, uh, such as the private sector mentioned, but also about 29.5% are provide of uh, primary care are provided by the private sector in the GOPC settings mostly. Sorry, so GOPC meaning together. Just one, the outpa- one general clinics. outpatient clinics. Sorry, mm. please go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So GOPC sorry, is uh, gender outpatient clinics. So how do you bring all that together in order to provide a coherent service? I think that would be very important uh, next step to right. go. Um, Dr. Wong, I guess everything starts with uh, being aware of your own health. Now, as a middle-aged person, I, I try to, you know, sort of, um, you know, have a body check um, very regularly. Uh, and I guess, you know, if you want to find out whether you have chronic disease, you have to do that. But at the moment, I guess there are, you know, body check um, mechanisms for sort of high risk groups. For example, I understand taxi drivers can now go to body checks. But again, um, I also understand that taxi drivers uh, are quite reluctant to go to the body, body checks. And I have talked to the district health centers, uh, you know, in Shamsho Po. And so I, I think this all you know, comes to um, the mind, the mindset of people who are in high-risk groups. And um, how, how do you think uh, we could um, encourage yeah. them to, um, to, make, to, to be more aware of their health? Well, I think there are two ways. 
One is from the uh, so medical providers. There is opportunistic uh, uh, care uh, when people come in for other reasons. We we raise it. For example, at the moment it's the flu season, so we, everybody who fulfills the criteria will be offered to have the flu vaccination. Uh, on the other hand, there should be a promotion. Uh, if it's easier for the taxi driver to use, if it's uh, if it's uh, sort of uh, promoted and they accept that it has value in it, I think people would do it. I mean, take the example of in mainland China, health check is very commonly practiced. Uh, a lot of them are organized through the employers, but also individuals would come yearly check. So I think it's the change of the mindset and change of culture, which obviously uh, would require the central government to push it. So that's why I think Primary Health Commission will have a, uh, will have a role in that. Uh, but currently, HA don't do any screening. Uh, so if we push all that uh, outpatient service to primary health commission i think it will have a separate entities in order to do health promotion which is the one of the main things uh, so emphasized in the blueprint are you suggesting that everyone should have an annual or uh, once every two years uh, health checkup then is that is that the idea well uh, there are certainly uh, values in in uh, regular checkups at least awareness but there are also in the uh, private market at the moment. Many, many plan A, plan B, uh, health check, uh, a lot of them are not evidence-based. So what we want to do is uh, inform the general public and also a good and sound evidence-based practice in health promotion. So we will get the most cost-effective uh, value. For example, uh, the colorectal cancer screening, which is extremely uh, effective, but only about 20% of people are now currently uh, who fulfill the criteria having it uh, regularly. Uh, Pap smear been sort of around for so many years in Hong Kong. It's only around 60-70% of people in Hong Kong, uh, women, are, are having it. So I think there is a still way to go. And one of them is how do you provide a monetary incentive for the doctors to do that? I mean, in the UK, I understand uh, the GPs would be paid if they can reach certain percentage of the population uh, who fulfill the criteria and have the uh, Pap smear test to prevent uh, cervical cancers. So I think that kind of uh, system needs to be in place in order for it to work. Okay, we're discussing the government's uh, primary healthcare blueprint that was uh, just unveiled yesterday, and you just heard uh, Dr. William Wong from the University of Hong Kong. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking to two of the newly elected lawmakers who were sworn in yesterday. If you have any thoughts on either topic, do uh, email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free. And now, for a different perspective on the primary healthcare blueprint, let's bring in Alex Chat Lam. Alex Lam is the chair of the Hong Kong. Uh, Patients' voices. Good morning, Mr. Lam. Good morning. Uh, so what, what is your what is your reaction to the uh, primary healthcare blueprint unveiled yesterday? Yes, yeah, so of course we we're happy that uh, we we finally have a blueprint uh, because um, in the previous uh, administration it seems that um, uh, they they only look for uh, establishing something like this and that. Uh, we of course uh, including the uh, district health center. 
uh, in the 2017 policy address when uh, Carrie Lam proposed this um, in her um, um, plan. But, but after five years, uh, we only see a, a few um, uh, um, uh, fully um, uh, facilitated uh, digital health centers established in Hong Kong. Some are very um, um, small, uh, talking about uh, several thousand feet, uh, providing very limited services. But now we have a routine. I hope, hope that uh, with, with this um, plan that uh, if the government really want to put uh, resources in, in this uh, plan, that uh, I think we, we have a better future because uh, we always uh, uh, encourage people to undergo um, uh, health uh, disease uh, prevention or screening system so that uh, people can detect their uh, situation earlier, uh, saving much money uh, in future in uh, managing their diseases. So, uh, yes, it is good, but uh, we, we haven't heard about uh, how this um, plan is to um, uh, make it happen, how much resources are put into this uh, plan, because we are talking about engaging a lot of uh, different kinds of people in this plan, uh, not to mention uh, doctors and uh, several um, uh, different kinds of um, uh, health uh, professionals. We're talking about uh, engaging social workers and everybody to, to put into this plan so that everyone will have to um, have a part in this um, in this plan to, to make sure that the, the health prevention uh, scheme or private um, primary health care really happen uh, in Hong Kong. Mm. So, um, uh, yeah, so I, I think it's, it's important that uh, they really have to do something, and uh, we, we have to um, have a um, um, look at something happen yes. in the near future, not, not uh, five years later. Right. Um, Mr. Lam, you mentioned about the district health centres. Well, in the blueprint, they play a very important role uh, yeah. because, um, you know, ordinary citizens can access the services and perhaps they could be screened and uh, given advice on chronic diseases. Um, how, 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 you know, from the patient's point of view, uh, are these district health centres effective and um, what do you think could be improved? Well, uh, I think that at the moment is um, not uh, sufficient at all uh, because uh, it seems that the government made the wrong turn in, in this um, um, digital care centre because um, uh, after years, it seems that uh, these centres are not run by um, healthcare professionals or, or organisations with a healthcare uh, um, perspective. They are run by social um, uh, NGOs. Uh, they are basically providing a district uh, service, uh, uh, social works, and nothing about um, healthcare. Uh, say, for example, in, in um, remember Sam uh, Shippo, you mentioned that they are run by St. James um, Settlement, yes. and uh, the other one is run by YWCA. They obviously not, uh, you know, organization. Uh, which are doing you know anything about healthcare? Okay, so with, with this organization, you, you 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 let them run the centers. You back them to run the center because they have the uh, geographical um, um, uh, advantage because they they are in, uh, at the front line uh, dealing with the people in the uh, geographical uh, area. So they, they yes they have a, a advantage, but uh, they are not professional or they are not. Um, uh, knowledgeable in uh, healthcare, not to mention private healthcare. 
And there are also so, mixed reports, yeah. sorry, that some of these uh, existing centres haven't actually been so popular. You, you, you see reports of uh, they, they run classes, maybe only one person turns up at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, some people mentioned this is uh, basically an uh, um, elderly club. So, um, yes, um, because people are not very uh, keen to uh, about their their um, body situation, you know, um, they, if they are sick, they go to hospital. They, if they are not sick, then they, they rather, you know, uh, stay away from the center. They don't know what's the purpose of, uh, you know, uh, screening or disease prevention. Uh, I think we, we have to have um, much effort to put into uh, public health, uh, education about um, the health uh, because uh, people are uh, much relying on the uh, public sector. Uh, when they say they, they go to a public hospital, they, they, they didn't put much care about, you know, um, their health, uh, like uh, they keep on smoking and um, and they don't have very keen about what they are eating, which may have bad before they help. Right, um, Dr. David Lam, uh, what, what do you think of these health centres? And um, uh, you know, we need to do a lot to uh, to set up one centre, and it can be quite costly. So, um, and another alternative is to synergize the community resources already available in the elderly centers, even youth centers, in you know family, family centers, uh, and uh, and work together to uh, to enhance primary health. Yeah. No, the district health centers are already there. All right, you can't tear them down. So make good use of it. And in the entire blueprint, um, they are just like managing. Um, but manager of the community healthcare system, put it that way. So if you take an analogy like that, we are in a hospital, uh, the doctors will be the overall care manager of individual patients. But you have a management in a hospital that runs the hospital. And in a community healthcare system, we have family doctors who take care of uh, the healthcare of health of the individual uh, persons in the community. But then the district health centre should be running or organizing, coordinating the work inside this network. It provides administrative support to individual practitioners, including doctors and dentists. And it also provides services, certain services to the people, such as screening or certain parts of the screening of education. So it is quite useful. It's useful if people turn up, right? But if, if we're saying that some of these centres already exist and actually having a very utilisation, low utilisation rate, how do you change that? You also have an administration role. It coordinates um, what is happening in the community. Now, I give you an example of the role of a, a district health centre directly facing the patient. Someone who is, who is about to be discharged from the hospital, a stroke patient, okay? He still needs to undergo physiotherapy tomorrow. And maybe he needs some nursing care at the same time. But he doesn't know where to go to obtain these services. So before discharge, there has to be some management, some arrangement. So he needs a case manager to tell him what to do and where to go to tomorrow and for the next two weeks or so. And that should be one of the role of a district health center. I see your and point. Another, there. Role, yeah. another role of district health center is that now we mentioned about a community healthcare system whereby we have doctors, dentists, physiotherapists, 
Chinese medical practitioners and so on in the community. But what about if we have a community that requires speech therapists, but we do not have speech therapists in this particular community? Then the district health centre should have a role to fill in the blanks and provide services that is not generally available in that particular community, which can be different in different communities. And, and the cost of all that services will, will be um, will be borne by um, the patients, I guess, uh, the people. No, now that comes to the strategic purchasing office. Uh, for each community, the need may be slightly different, and the government has an overall responsibility of purchasing certain. Uh, services for the community, especially the grassroots population. So I believe some of these, or most of these services, are subsidised, whether in whole or in part. What, the first of the two roles you're suggesting seem to be session that can relieve pressure on hospitals because it'll be easier to discharge patients, right? Because yes. uh, they can provide. Uh, it's a big problem, isn't it, that you can't discharge yes. patients until there's something Send ready them for them early. So you're providing services that is currently only available in hospital, but you're providing those services in the community. We have, well, you can easily do that if that is well coordinated. So you need a coordinator, a, ma a case manager uh, from the district health centre. And then you hope you'll ease the pressure on hospital beds, right? Exactly. Okay. Okay, uh, we're discussing the primary healthcare blueprint, which was announced by the government yesterday, an ambitious uh, plan to uh, put more emphasis on primary healthcare, all those suggestions it could take up to 10 years to implement. Uh, our guests, uh, Dr. David Lam, the medical and health services sector lawmaker, Alex Lam, the chair of Hong Kong Patients Voices, and uh, Dr. William Wong, who's clinical associate professor and chief of research at the Department of Family Medicine and Primary Care at the University of Hong Kong. Stay with us, because we're going to be continuing discussion after the news, and uh, later on, we're also going to be talking to uh, two of the newly elected lawmakers. One of those lawmakers so nervous that he ended up actually repeating his oath. So we can uh, find out a bit more about that. If you've got any thoughts, uh, do email us at backchatterrthk.hk. That's backchatterrthk. Or you can leave a message on our Facebook page. The weather forecast. Uh, it's going, the maximum temperature is going to rise to 19 degrees. And it's going to be fine and dry for the rest of the week. Currently 15 degrees. We'll be back in three minutes. <laughs> You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Ada Wong. In the um, uh, second half of the show, we're going to be continuing our discussion on the uh, primary healthcare blueprint announced by the government yesterday as a plan to uh, try and transform much more of Hong Kong's uh, healthcare system uh, to the primary stage. Our guests uh, continuing the discussion, uh, Dr. David Lam, uh, lawmaker of the medical and health services sector, and uh, Alex Lam, chair of Hong Kong Patient Voices, and Dr. William Wong, a clinical associate professor and chief of research at the department of Family Medicine and Primary Care at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, later in the show, we're going to be talking to two of the newly elected uh, uh, lawmakers who were sworn in yesterday. If you have any thoughts on either topic, you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Give us a call on 233-88266 or leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Comment coming in from a listener. Colin says, uh, talking about the, <coughs> excuse me, the primary healthcare blueprint, says, this sounds a wonderful initiative for all all of our community. What sort of cost for the individual, say, for a basic visit, for follow-up and for subsidised? Uh, Dr. William Wong, I, I wonder if uh, do you have any thoughts on the issue raised by our listener? Mm, cost is a very important point. Um, I personally think uh, the it has to be subsidised, otherwise people could have gone to private uh, uh, sort of, uh, provisions for their services. 
so uh, but how much is difficult to judge. Uh, I think if we can provide certain basic service, that should be out free of charge. For example, I mentioned the chronic disease risk assessment. That is, that is a program currently provided by HA. Uh, and for the sort of di uh, diabetic patients or hypertensive patients uh, under the, the public sector. Uh, I think that should be extended to the private sector. But other services, which is more costly and essential, uh, such as testing, the uh, hearing, the infertility testing, uh, or other screening, for example, hepatitis B, or even uh, sexually transmitted infections like chlamydia, all that can be provided at cost. Because, for example, the, to test for uh, sexually transmitted infections, it would easily cost uh, $1,500 to about $2,000, and that's very costly. But if we can provide that, I think it helps Hong Kong to control uh, the spread of the infections as a public health measure. So I think it depends on how you look at the, the problem, uh, not just for individuals, but also as a uh, society on the whole. And, and Dr. Wong, um Chinese medicine is, is actually a key part uh, of uh, prim the primary healthcare system. Uh, how do you see um, um, Chinese medicine practitioners uh, collaborating with family doctors, for example? And uh, would, would there be any um, challenges uh, that you can think of? Well, it is happening uh, anyway. I mean, as you quite rightly say, a lot of people from Hong Kong do go to Chinese uh, traditional Chinese uh, practitioners, uh, medicine practitioners. And uh, many of them sometimes would ask the patient to come back to us to do certain tests to exclude they have liver uh, problem, to, to make sure their, their kidneys are functioning before they prescribe certain drugs, or they ask them to do x-ray before they would do the bone setting uh, practice. I think that can be strengthened uh, to be sort of more formal. And we are colleagues, so we work to supplement each other. There is no way that uh, uh, we are rivals. So I think that's happening, but how can we maybe using the, uh, the district health center as the service coordination and uh, the performance, the uh, monitoring uh, function of the district health center in order to facilitate and formalize these links. Now, it seems that we're, we're giving these district health centres a lot of responsibilities. Uh, they are at the heart of a district community network, and they are supposed to be coordinators. But I visited one or two um, district health centres. They are rather small, um, just maybe 3,000 square feet uh, with um, uh, not that many staff. Uh, how many more district health centres do you think the government uh, should be uh, setting up in order that um, they do, they can really, you know, have that uh, strength uh, to take up this very important role. Well, I think set race probably is not the most uh, important issue here. Uh, as mentioned earlier in the audit report, uh, you know, very few people use their service. Uh, I think it's the most important thing is currently being run by the uh, sort of the NGOs who rely on the advice from, from the doctors. But, for example, in the UK, they set up the primary health uh, trust, 
which is run by the GPs and who, uh, general practitioners who would uh, be the proxy for the patients because they would know what service is required. Uh, that's probably why at the moment the service provided at the district health centers are mostly irrelevant uh, and, and being you know, rated as a health club. Uh, so I think it's, it's the organization of it that matters. Mm. Yes, I agree, social work is a very important part of the people's health. Uh, but to get it right to start with, I think we need to, the, the doctors, uh, nurses, all the health professionals who are trained to do this job and close to the uh, people because we see them every day and see their needs uh, to start to the surface. Okay, thank you very much to Dr. William Wong for joining us this morning. Uh, let's follow up on that issue raised by our listener about uh, the issue of cost with uh, Alex Lam, chair of Hong Kong Patients Voices. Uh, Alex Lam, uh, this issue of cost is important, isn't it? There have been co payment schemes in the past, and people have found that they're just too expensive, haven't they? Well, um, uh, well it, it depends whether, you know, um, it's expensive or not, uh, because, um, you know, everyone has a different level of income or, or wealth. Uh, but uh, uh, as I mentioned, that um, Hong Kong people seems not too keen about um, disease prevention or healthcare management. Uh, so they, they are quite reluctant to spend money on, on this thing uh, because uh, they rather spend money when you know they have the need to see the, um, the doctor when the time comes. So um, and the government has a part um, to play as to how to encourage people by using these um, services, uh, but not uh, you know paying too high the the price and to get the service. Uh, so you, you have to have some kind of uh, incentive scheme and uh, encourage these people to to make use of the the, the, the service, which are good for them. Um, but but um, you know talking about money, people are really um, concerned about this. So so you really have to have a plan. Um, to, 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 you know, induce them to come to the centers. Um, Ada was right that, uh, you know, these centers are rather small, you know, smaller than a restaurant. So how can you provide this uh, comprehensive um, services? Talk about uh, 10, 15, something on the list, um, including health promotion, health assessment, chronic disease management, uh, or community rehabilitation. I mean, this, this, uh, these services are very um, substantive, uh, talking about in a community, in a district, uh, with a um, 300 to 400,000 uh, people in a community using the services. So, so um, this health center with size of 3,000 square feet is, is, um, is appalling. Okay, uh, we're talking about the uh, primary healthcare blueprint announced by the government yesterday, and we have a caller, caller Jim. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, what are your thoughts on primary healthcare? Well, I just wanted to come in. I'm a senior citizen, and I've lived in Hong Kong about 46 years. Um, recently, I was diagnosed with eighth trip, uh, congestive heart failure, and uh, diabetes. Now, uh, how would I fit under this scheme if I wanted to? I mean, I'm being seen now in the public health system. Okay, well, let's ask uh, Dr. David Lamb. Would you uh, would you like to respond to our caller, somebody who's very much in need of um, uh, health care? I can't hear you. 
question very well. Could you repeat his question? Oh, he was saying that, uh, uh, Jim, you're saying you're, you're diagnosed with uh, congenital heart disease and a couple of other conditions. You're being treated uh, by public hospitals at the moment. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dr. David Lamb? Oh, yes. Well, if we're talking about chronic illnesses, congenital heart disease is something usually quite severe and you diagnose it in a hospital and you have to see a specialist for it. But we're talking about common diseases such as diabetes and hypertension and these are the predisposing factors for more severe diseases such as heart attacks, stroke um, and other eye conditions and chronic kidney diseases. So we treat the common things in a community, we screen them in the community healthcare centres, I mean the district healthcare centres, and then we treat them early. That is the whole idea of providing these screening to people, but not uh, complicated diseases such as congenital heart or, or cancers. Well, cancers, you screen them and detect early conditions and remove the, say, polyps in the case of colorectal cancers. Mm. Yeah. Um, do- Dr. Lam, uh, what about the issue of cost? I understand that at the DHC, the district health centres, uh, they do charge for the screening. Of course, it's um, uh, lower than perhaps you know, the private sector, but it's still you know, about charging. Would people you know, just um, don't want to pay that sort of money because mm-hmm. it is preventive? In fact, I would advocate free screening, free screening for the population. Uh, but we're talking about a structured screening plan, okay, an evidence-based structured um, screening plan that stratifies people according to age, gender, and past health, and perhaps family history. So we provide screening for diabetes, for hypertension, high cholesterol levels for everyone, say, about 45 years of age. And we screen ladies for cervical cancers. Okay. We screen elderly people, not really elderly, but people in the middle ages, 50 onwards for colorectal cancers. And we add a few more on it. So we have plans. And I, I would advocate these plans are free for the patient, the population. Okay, let's just, so sorry. Treatment, treatment is a different thing. Treatment yeah. should be co-paid. Yeah, let's just okay. uh, briefly go back to uh, Caller Jim. Caller Jim, uh, you were being advised that uh, this scheme would, would help with maybe health conditions that haven't emerged yet. Your existing health yeah. conditions have to be treated differently. Well, uh, what I understand is he's saying that they will screen. I've already been screened, diagnosed, and am being treated. Hypertension, diabetes, congestive heart failure, uh, all the things that they're speaking of screening for, but I've already been I'm treated for this. How would that affect me? Once the scheme is put in place, am I going to be automatically added because I've been uh, I'm in the system or what? Well, that's a good point, uh, David Lamb. Uh, our caller saying the point is he he gets screened for these things already. So how would the new system be any different, David Lamb? Well, if he has a regular habit of going to the doctor for a regular checkup, then that's fine. I mean, the scheme is for say the taxi driver that we mentioned earlier, who do not regularly go for screening, and we want to screen them for diseases. Because if they do not get screened and they only present when they have a complications of, uh, say, hypertension, then it will be too late and the healthcare burden on the particular person and also on society will be great. So what we want to do is to do community, community-wide or even a population-wide screening for common conditions. It doesn't affect you if you already have those screening by your family, your personal uh, private family doctors. It's good. Okay, Jim. So I think the answer is that uh, it's to help um, other people catch the, catch these conditions oh, earlier. I see. Okay, fine. Okay. If you if you don't if you haven't already been diagnosed, <laughs> then they're going to screen you to see if you do 
uh, if you have subjected to any of those. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, well, thank, okay. yes. thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Good, good luck with your health condition. Um, let, let's just go back to uh, Alex Lamb for some, uh, some closing thoughts on this topic. Uh, we, Alex Lamb, we've been talking about um, primary health care for a long time. And even in the uh, blueprint uh, yesterday, I think uh, Libby, uh, the government was saying that uh, if this could take 10 years to, to implement, why, why so slow? Well, I think um, that that's the problem when we have a government uh, once every uh, five years. That um, um, when 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 Carrie Lam um, uh, proposed this, uh, you know, in the first year of her um, term, that uh, we had this uh, district health centre, we we have high regard to this uh, idea. Uh, but uh, looking at the, the current situation, um, uh, the district health centres are, are rather uh, small, and some don't even call themselves centres. They call them, um, I don't know what's the name, but uh, it symbolises that uh, they are really small, that, um, you know, um, they, they cannot uh, deal with a lot of people, not to mention they are not run by prof- uh, healthcare professional, but uh, geographical or district um, um, uh, NGO uh, providing civil service. So I, I think the government really have to, well, they have a proofing now that we, we have to um, um, hear more about how the government is to make this uh, uh, materialize by putting um, uh, resources, uh, by encouraging people to to uh, join the, um, the plan. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, talking about, you know, they, the people have to right. pay uh, for the service. Uh, Alex Lam, one one last question. I, I think um, you know, uh, in in other places, uh, they put resources in the non medical interventions as well, i.e., the social prescriptions. So, if a person um, you know has sort of mental or you know or is depressive, then uh, they are you know the social uh, uh, prescriptions. Let let's say you know taking them for a walk. And having that um, co- sense of community uh, for them, how important this is uh, also for for district health and for primary health. Yeah, I, I think the, this this routine seems to suggest that um, that uh, everyone uh, will have to um, um, do something, uh, even though you are um, not medically trained. That uh, you may have to get involved um, in the primary health care system. Uh, social worker is, is important because they are the connection between um, uh, the elderly people or people who are in need of the, the health uh, care service uh, to the healthcare system. Uh, but uh, when we are talking about healthcare system, we, we just not talk about uh, hospitals, but uh, some other um, um, uh, um, healthcare um, um, uh, service providers. So these connections are important that, uh, like you mentioned, you know, you, you have, um, you know, a body to, to take care of uh, um, uh, sick people. Um, so we're, we're having a social worker. Um, we, we have to put some more training about how, how yes. these people deal with, um, you know, um, people with uh, medical needs. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that concludes uh, our, our main discussion this morning. Uh, you heard Alex Lam, uh, chair of the Hong Kong Patients' Voices, uh, Dr. David Lam, the lawmaker for the medical and health services sector. Earlier on, we also heard uh, Dr. William Wong from the University of Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say.
moving on, uh, four lo- lo- new lawmakers uh, from an election committee by elections were sworn in yesterday by the chief executive uh, uh, John Lee. Uh, the uh, two of the lawmakers are now joining us on the line: uh, Adrian Ho and uh, Wong Kam Fai, both newly elected election committee uh, lawmakers. Uh, so, uh, good morning. Um, uh, congratulations on your victory, uh, Wong Kam Fai. Perhaps we can uh, go to you first. Uh, you were a little bit nervous taking your oath, weren't you, yesterday? Ah, uh, don't don't mention it all the time. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> yeah, about that. It was it is but but I, I I did it. I mean, uh, so I I just crossed two words. Um, it was okay. It was okay. But 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 it, it you know it should happen to me. But but it, it was like that. It was a little embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, well, you're in now. Anyway, uh, tell us about your your hope. I think you've been uh, your you're an engineering professor. You've been quoted as saying there's no one with a similar background in the Leadership Council. What, 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 how, how do you plan to make a difference? Well, uh, I, I think we, one cannot be too narrow-minded about this innovation and technology uh, 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 business profession. I mean, it's a, it's a wide spectrum. And when we're talking about innovation and technology, uh, it's an application science that applies to uh, many different areas. Uh, so therefore, uh, in fact, now currently in the Legislative Council, uh, there are more than there are few who are actually uh, sort of with, with strong innovation technology background. But I think we need more because as you see what will happen in the coming four or five years, uh, the Hong Kong government is keen to actually to, to develop innovation technology, for example, in developing the International Innovation Technology Hub, which is one of the main things that we need to do. Uh, as collaboration with the main uh, with the mainland government as well. So uh, for myself, uh, uh, I'm I'm actually very experienced in university research and technology transfer, as well as uh, sort of uh, transfer and connection between uh, the mainland government. I think I think uh, for 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 that for that I think uh, there's there's a missing missing piece in in the current legislative council. Oh, no, not anymore. Now I'm in. <laughs> And uh, yeah, Professor Wong, congratulations. Uh, I think we, we, we do need uh, evidence-based, uh, uh, you know, policies. So, um, you know, just very quickly, what, what are the areas? Uh, is innovation and technology is certainly very big. That uh, policies could be improved. Well, uh, we have been talking, we, we are very strong in actually in uh, research. Uh, but uh, getting the research results uh, sort of commercialized, productized, I think we're still a little bit slow. In, in particular, we really have to make good use of the, uh, the Bay Area. Uh, I think uh, in the coming years, we should talk a lot of, about how to actually turn research results from the university uh, as application and as products. Okay, and uh, another of the newly elected lawmakers is Adrian Ho. Adrian Ho joins us as well. Adrian Ho is a company director, and I think you've been quoted as saying that uh, Hong Kong needs uh, more lawmakers who can speak up for local businesses. Um, is, that, is that your priority, Mr Ho? Good morning. Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, so uh, what, what are your priorities? Congratulations on your election. What, what are your priorities in Thank the election? Thank you so council? much. Yeah. I think one of my priorities is that I, I, during this month, I had been uh, collecting a lot of opinion from different tax sectors. And I think in the past, the Hong Kong government had not been communicating with um, companies as well as uh, 
individuals as well as sectors, because basically all over, um, not enough. And the information that I got from these sectors is that I believe that um, we need to be able to take care of some of the needs, especially coming out of COVID. And I think that the government needs to have, uh, as we uh, approaching normalization, and it's uh, this is very evidently going to be imminent. And I think that it needs to have a uh, more clear schedule as to um, what kind of things that are we expecting, you know, when, in terms of uh, when are we going to have complete normalization so that companies can better prepare for uh, what's coming, number one. Number two, that I hope that I can draw my experiences uh, with, because I currently, I've been running an SME uh, in Hong Kong and in China for more than 10 years, uh, so I know how hard it is. And I think that SMEs are very, very important. Uh, 98% of the companies in Hong Kong are actually SMEs. So it it is definitely the backbone engine. And if we were to uh, fuel, I mean, this is basically going to be very important for Hong Kong's future. So I think that as we come off normalization, I hope to be able to speak for um, a lot of SMEs and then try to take care of what they actually really need um, as we come out of COVID. Yes, uh, from your uh, from your discussions uh, with these companies, uh, what 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 are their needs? Uh, because I think you know these SMEs are from various sectors. Uh, there are other representatives in Electrico as well. Uh, you know, where where is the needs uh, that that you see a big gap and which you can uh, fill that gap? I think the needs. Uh, I I think obviously obviously there are other uh, members of Electrico that will be able to help. Um, I won't be the only one, and there's never going to be a one-man job on a particular thing, and this is what the beauty of Lechko right now with 90 people of different representation. So I think that we are going to work together towards a common goal, which is to make Hong Kong better. And in terms of SMEs, I believe the biggest gap that we're facing right now is that I don't think that uh, the government is providing enough support for SMEs, especially in finance, especially in finance. And I think that there's a huge gap in finance um, uh, in terms of uh, uh, ways that SMEs can get finance, uh, whether it's debt, whether it's equity, uh, whether it's uh, any kind of government grant or loan. I think that we're not getting enough attention from the government um, to fuel some of the financial plans. And as we all know, I mean, SMEs typically has less liquidity than other companies um, by definition. The smaller, um, less flexibility. So the ability to survive uh, without financing through a extensive period of time, um, it's diminished as we come in, as we're um, during COVID, obviously, as well as um uh, difficult times. I mean, we are facing, you know, economic downturn. We're facing coming out of COVID. We suffered a lot. So I think that in the future, what I hope to do is that I can reflect back to the government. Right now, um, there is one um, consulting um, center, if you like, for SMEs in, in, in all of Hong Kong. 
serving 340,000 um, SMEs, which I think definitely is not enough. In the future, we're going to need a lot of one-stop service for SMEs that we have to actively reach out to different sectors of SMEs to serve the needs. And their needs ranges from finance uh, to human resources mm, to yes. uh, professional services. So mm. I think that we need to have a more comprehensive um, support service for uh, SMEs. Um, uh, Professor Wong, uh, last question, uh, very quickly. Hello. Yes, uh, about talents. The innovation and technology sector needs a lot of talents. What are your thoughts on that? And how would you uh, propose well, to the government? Actually, if you look at the uh, policy address, uh, I think it's some, somewhere uh, in paragraph 40, they, they said a lot about uh, you know importing talents. But I, I thought that uh, the, the current version is mainly focused on the high, high skill level. Uh, I think currently, uh, throughout the whole ecosystem, we need some people, you know, uh, sort of skilled laborers as well. I think that part of it is a little bit, a little bit missing. So I guess uh, when I when I get in, this is uh, a point that I'm going to uh, drill into and make sure that we we get the scientists, the normal scientists and the and the technicians as well to actually help to build up uh, the, the the industry. Okay, thank you very much indeed. You just heard. From, <coughs> sorry, Adrian Ho, you wanted to add something very, very quickly. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, you just heard from uh, t- from two of our new- newly elected uh, lawmakers, uh, Professor Wong Kam Fai and Adrian Ho, were both elected uh, from the election committee by election at the weekend. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you also uh, to my guest presenter Ada today. Uh, the uh, weather forecast: uh, it will be dry with sunny periods. It's warming up. The maximum temperature will be around 19 degrees. Currently, 16 degrees. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Real name registration for SIM cards has begun. All SIM cards need real name registration before use. Registration for existing prepaid SIM cards must be done by February 23, 2023. Existing service plan users need not register again. Individual and corporate users can respectively register up to 10 and 25 prepaid SIM cards with each operator. Real name registration for SIM cards is simple. Let's hurry up and register. News with Tom Warden. Patients advocate Tim Pang from the Society for Community Organization has welcomed government plans to shift the focus of health care from treatment to prevention and promote the concept of a family doctor. The plan also includes a so-called co-care scheme to subsidize patients with hypertension or diabetes to get treated in the private sector. But a geriatrics professor says the proposed 